Good morning. So wonderful to be here together this morning and to have those who are uh, visiting with us and joining us online. We're so glad and thankful to God for this opportunity, this blessing to be together uh, again this morning. I remember growing up from time to time, my grandmother on my mom's side would be talking with us kids and tell us stories about family. And uh, she, from time to time, would tell us a story about her sister, Aunt Velma. And she would say, you remember Aunt Velma, don't you? She's your aunt. Do you remember her? And we would say, no, we don't, we don't know Aunt Velma. We don't know her. And she would say, you don't remember? You met her when you were little. You don't remember Velma, my sister? No, we don't remember <laughs> Velma. And uh, it was just always funny growing up because we met her, I think, once. And uh, we were so young, we just had, had no memory of her. We just didn't see her, I guess, except that one time. But my grandmother repeated that all the time. You don't remember? How can you not remember Aunt Velma? <laughs> and she was, we had no idea who she was except her sister and apparently our aunt. And uh, that was always something funny among uh, my brother and sister, uh, Aunt Velma, this mysterious Aunt Velma. I'm sure she was wonderful. We just never knew her. That's kind of how the Holy Spirit is to us a lot of times, isn't it? The Holy Spirit a lot of times for a lot of Christians is like Aunt Velma. I've heard of, of him. I've never really met him, I don't think. And I don't really know anything about him except maybe through some stories that I've heard you tell. Is that the way our relationship with the Holy Spirit is supposed to be? Is the Holy Spirit supposed to be Aunt Velma to us? Or that distant relative that you don't know, you've heard about, uh, you don't even know exactly how you're related, but you know they're out there somewhere? Is that the way our relationship with the Holy Spirit is supposed to be? Or is it supposed to be like that relative in, a, in one way that you know very, very well, that you're close to, that you share things with, that you spend time with. So that's what we want to look at this morning is the Holy Spirit as we study uh, the Trinity. We want to invite you to be with us next week. We, we are meeting for morning worship at 10, and uh, we're studying the Trinity in this short series, and that's our last Sunday of the year, and it happens to fall on Christmas Day and we're going to be studying about Jesus, looking at uh, who he is. So we invite you to be with us and invite people to be with you. If you have family members in town, wake up and rip open the presents, come to worship, and then go eat some lunch and, and enjoy the rest of your day. And let's be together on Christmas Day and worship God. So the Holy Spirit is, first and foremost, what we want to understand is the third person in the Godhead. There's God, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit has a distinct role to accomplish the will of the Father and the Son, who their unified will, and to be in a personal relationship with both of them. They are perfectly unified. 
the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is perfect love and unification among them. Uh, The Holy Spirit is not like the force in Star Wars where you can say to the stormtrooper, you do not need to check our ID and let us through. There's no problem here. Let us through. It's not the force where you can, uh, like maybe even Thor has, where he can call his hammer to come to him. That's not the Holy Spirit, this impersonal force in nature that you can figure out, calculate how to manipulate and control and use to the best of your ability. That's not the Holy Spirit. Some will teach it that way and some believe that's the way it is. But when we look at the Bible, and that's what we want to do, is just what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? That's what we want to understand. We understand that uh, the, the Holy Spirit is, is a, a person, is a, a, a being, a spiritual being. Not a physical being as we Uh, as we are, but a spiritual being, a person of the Godhead. Scripture speaks of several activities of the Holy Spirit all throughout the Bible and lots of it in in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we see that there's no way that these acts, these works of God could have been performed if the Holy Spirit was just a mere force floating in the air like radio waves instead of being an an actual spiritual being, not just an emotional feeling that you have. Uh, An emotional feeling, a spiritual high you might call it, whatever you want to call it, that, that's not what the Holy Spirit is. Is, is that wrong? No, no, that's not always wrong. I'm just saying that the Bible doesn't say that the Holy Spirit is a feeling. Oh, wow, that just, that must be the Holy Spirit. Well, that's, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's not what we see in Scripture. Can God use your feelings, and is that a part of how He made you? Absolutely. But the Holy Spirit is not emotion. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in nature, but distinct in role and relationship. So what I want to look at, I was just fascinated by this, is I want to briefly look at the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, and certainly we can't look at every instance of Him in Scripture, but I want us to look at a few key moments where we see the Holy Spirit all throughout the Bible. And He's there at the very beginning. We forget about that because we quote Genesis 1-1 and we talk about uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But what does verse 2 say? The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And look at this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit was there at the beginning of creation. He was there active and involved. We see the Holy Spirit all throughout the Bible. The Holy Spirit worked in the lives of people in the Old Testament. These are just a few examples. Balaam, Gideon, Samson, Saul, David, and many others. And when you look at their stories, you see where the Bible says the Spirit of God references the Spirit of God working in their lives to accomplish God's will. And then look at this in Joel. Joel is thought to be uh, written after the destruction and exile of the Israelites, destruction of the temple, destruction of Jerusalem, after they were taken captive by the Babylonians and something as they were even coming back 
to, uh, freed from Babylonia, the Babylonians. And so Joel prophesies that God would send his spirit to his people. And Joel 2, 28 and 29, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. So was, was Joel prophesying that was going to happen right then? Well, as we're going to find out, he didn't mean for it right then. But this was a prophecy that would later be fulfilled as God accomplished the work he was doing. So as we move to the New Testament, of course the Holy Spirit is just all throughout the New Testament. And we see the Holy Spirit referenced more distinctly, more specifically in the, Holy, in the, in the New Testament. And people began to understand, especially as we move to Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit more uh, in more detail, more specific inf- detail that they had. They were, Jesus taught them about the Holy Spirit. But in Luke 12, 12, look at what Jesus told the disciples. He told them that the Holy Spirit would come and would teach them what they needed, needed to say when they were questioned, when they were challenged, that the Holy Spirit would give them the words to say. He said, don't worry, you're going to know what to say. That's what he said to his disciples as he was training them, preparing them to send them out to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And then we get to Luke 24, 49. Look at this. Jesus appears to his disciples. This is after the road to Emmaus, after he's He's been raised from the dead after the crucifixion. And then he appears to his disciples at the end of Luke. And in verse 49, Luke records that Jesus appeared to his disciples when they were meeting together. And he says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So he told them back in chapter 12, the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach you and guide you. In Luke 24, he tells them, hey, stay here until the Holy Spirit gets here, until you know that you've been given the Holy Spirit, until he's come upon you with power. And then look at Acts chapter 1. Now remember who wrote Acts? Luke. So is Luke part 2. It was, it was second Luke almost. And so he begins the story, uh, his, his report in Acts, in verses 4 and 5. And Luke writes this about Jesus. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So it's what he just said in Luke 24. But wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, what's about to happen? The day of Pentecost. That's what happens next. And all the disciples, the, 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 the disciples are assembled together. They're meeting on the day of Pentecost. And what happens? Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Luke tells us, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided uh, tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested each one of them on each one of them. Verse four, and they were all filled with 
the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the 12 disciples are sitting there and, and God does what he says he's going to do back in Joel. And, 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 and God does what Jesus said he was going to do. He said, wait there until this happens. And then at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to them in a unique way that he doesn't do it in any other time. But in that way, he appeared to them as flames above them and they could speak in different languages. Well, why did God do that? Because... That day of Pentecost was thousands of people, Jew, Jewish people from all over who even spoke different languages there for the day of Pentecost. And so when people heard these, these apostles speaking different languages and they understood they were talking in their own languages, they said, what is wrong with these guys? Some were amazed and some said they were what? They were drunk. They said, these guys are already drinking. And they're already drunk. And so Peter stands up and he says, we're not, we're not drunk as you've been saying. And what does he do? He begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 14 through 18. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give Ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet who? Joel. Do you see that? Do you see that? This is what's uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Isn't that amazing? We're seeing right there. The, a prophecy from the Old Testament fulfilled that Jesus said was coming. And right now we see it happening because God was doing a new thing. God was establishing his church on earth. His new temple, his new place of dwelling, his new Israel, his spiritual Israel. That's what God was doing right here. I think that's amazing to see. So let's ask that's, that's interesting. We see that in the Bible. Okay, but what does, what does God do for Christians? What does the Holy Spirit do for Christians today? That's all fine and good. We see what, what happened then. But what about today? What does the Holy Spirit do for us today? So let's walk through some of the things that we see in Scripture. Now understand, though, first of all, that God worked in unique ways in the book of Acts because the church was being established and he used the Holy Spirit to confirm his works just like miracles and, and all that. And that was through the Holy Spirit in people and God, God allowing that and doing that intentionally as the church was established and began to spread. So he used uh, uh, the Holy Spirit in ways in the first century church that he no longer does after the last of the apostles passed away. So there are some unique things that you see throughout Acts. But the Holy Spirit, uh, we see, 
that uh, the, on the day of Pentecost, of course, the Holy Spirit is a fire above their heads and they speak in foreign languages. That's unique. That doesn't happen today. We see that the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, the apostles heal people, right? There's one story where people just wanted to be in Peter's shadow, that his shadow would pass by them and they would be healed. When Paul confronted the sorcerer uh, Elymas and he blinded him because of what the sorcerer was doing. Remember at the very end of Acts, Paul was uh, being arrested, taken to Rome. He was shipwrecked and they were on shore and he goes to collect firewood. And do you remember, children, what happened? It's kind of a, an amazing story. There's a snake in the woods, in the wood that he, the firewood that he picks up. And what does the snake do? He latches onto his hand. And what does Paul do? He just starts screaming and running, right? No. He shakes the snake off and keeps on moving like nothing happened. Now, I don't recommend you doing this. Don't go around snakes and get yourself bitten. But it didn't do anything to him, and the people were amazed. Why? Because God was using the Holy Spirit in unique ways in the first century to launch the church and spread his kingdom in that, uh, in that first century among the apostles and some others. But now, how is the Holy Spirit involved in our lives today? Well, first we see in Acts 2.38, which is back there where the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came to them and they began proclaiming the gospel in all of these different languages so that people could understand. And Peter says, when they said, well, what do we do? We just heard this good news. We just heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we do with this news? How do we respond? And he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And there's a period right there, right? Is that the end of the sentence? No, that's not the end of the sentence. Peter continues. We often stop there. But Peter continues and he says, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a gift you receive at baptism, when you become a Christian, that's when you become a Christian, when you're baptized into Christ. So in baptism, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of our heavenly home if we remain faithful. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In, in him, you, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's what we're talking about in Acts 2, 38, in Acts chapter 2, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When was I sealed? When I received the Holy Spirit at baptism, Acts 2.38. Now verse 14, Ephesians 1, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, what? Our inheritance, our heavenly home, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a seal, and there's other passages on this, a guarantee so that when Jesus returns, God scans, uh, you know, scans the population and is looking for the Holy Spirit. Where does he see the Holy Spirit in people? Those are his people. Those are the people going to their heavenly home. Now, the Holy Spirit also signifies that we are children of God. Look at Galatians 4. 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of, uh, of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, another important point about the Holy Spirit, because there's different teachings about the Holy Spirit 
and different beliefs that people have. But the Holy Spirit is closely, intimately tied to the Word of God. That's really important to understand when you uh, study in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.21, the Holy Spirit is the one who guided the authors of the Bible to write the Bible. The Holy Spirit was there at creation. The Holy Spirit was there when the when the Bible was being written, as throughout all of those years of the Bible, books of the Bible being written, the Holy Spirit was the one guiding the authors to write what they wrote in the Bible that we have. Ephesians 6, 17, I love this passage. The sword of the Spirit is just one piece of the spiritual armor that God has given us. And this is one that I think a lot of times we overlook when we're studying the Word of God. We memorize it. We're memorizing armor as we're kids. But then we grow up and we don't, we don't make this connection about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But the Holy Spirit, the, the Bible says that the Word of God is what? The sword of the Spirit. That's important. Do you know what that means? That means that's how the Spirit works. That's his tool, his, 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 his not just weapon, but his tool. That's what he uses to work in your life is the word of God. So you want the word of God? You want God to work in your life? You want the spirit to work in your life? Well, what do you have to have? You have to have the word of God for him to do his work in you. Why? Because that's the word of God that he wants us to live by. And the Holy Spirit works on you in your heart and your mind, your conscience, your spirit. And, and, and he uses that word in your life. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is uh, sharp it, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's living and active. And what does it do? It pierces joint and marrow. It, 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 it's that precise to get in your life and work like a surgeon does. So, so you ought to want the Word of God to get in your business because that means the Holy Spirit is at work in you when the Word is working on your life. Okay? And so... The Holy Spirit will never work outside the bounds of Scripture. You'll never, you'll never hear something that you believe, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God does not teach that. The Holy Spirit does not work outside the bounds, the limits, the constraints of the Word of God. You're not going to receive a new truth that isn't in the Word of God. Oh, God told me this. Well, the Bible says this. I know, but the Holy Spirit told me that that doesn't happen. If someone says that's what happened, that ain't the Holy Spirit. That may be something else they were drinking. I don't know. But that wasn't the Holy Spirit, okay? Because He works within Scripture to glorify Jesus and to accomplish the work of God. Now, look at Galatians 5 real quick. Look at all that Paul says on, on, on Sunday nights we're doing the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been walking through these last several weeks the fruit of the Spirit. We'll, we'll finish that tonight. And look at all that Paul says in, in, in a couple of verses about the Holy Spirit. In 16, 18, and 25, what does he tell us? He says, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. That's not some vague thing I just float around and feel my way through. 
No, it's by following the word of God and the word of God being in me, filling up in me to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's how the Spirit works in my life. Now, Paul also told us, the last thing I want us to look at, he told us, look at Ephesians 5. He told us, be filled with the Spirit. That's the only time in Scripture that that, that phrase is used with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound, if you're a Christian and you're uh, sincere in your faith, doesn't that sound like that? Well, that's what I want. I want to be filled with the Spirit. Well, let, let, let's think about, well, how do I do that? What does that mean and how do I do that? Look at Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul shows us there's two ways to walk, unwise and wise. And the Christian is to walk wisely in life as they live out, live according to the word of God, as they redeem the time for God. And to do so, he says, you can't be foolish, but you need to understand how it is Jesus wants you to live. That's what he's saying. And, th and then he tells us, don't get drunk on wine. Why? What's debauchery? Waste, wastefulness, gluttonous, uh, uh, recklessness. He says, the, the wise, the Christian, doesn't live like that. They're not filled with wine. They're not drunk on wine. They're filled with the Spirit. Do you see the contrast? He's saying, not that way, but this way. This is how the Christian lives. Filled with the Spirit. And then he says, here's what it looks like. You sing and worship God. And, and, and you, you praise God. And you, you sing with the instruments he's given you. Your heart and your, 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 your voice. And then he says, and you submit to one another. You give thanks to God. And you have this humble love for one another. So but I'm still interested in how do I get filled with the Spirit? How, how do I do that? I see it there, but how do I do that? Well, one way is you don't get drunk with wine. How do you get drunk with wine? How, 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 do you actually, how would you actually do that? I, I know none of y'all know how. You've heard, you've read how to actually do it. According to what you've read and heard, how do you get drunk with wine? You have to drink a lot of it, don't you? One, one, little, one little slurp. Isn't going to do it, but you got to drink a lot of it, and guess what's going to happen? After enough, you guzzle enough, you're going to be drunk. Okay, so let's think about the opposite of that. How do I get filled with the Spirit? I need to drink a lot of Him. Do you see that? I need to take in a lot of Him. Not just a little bit when it's convenient, when I feel like it and I can make it. Not, not, not tidbits and little nibbles here. Not little snacks. I've got the munchies and I just want to snack on the Spirit. No. I, 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 I just consume Him. I, I take Him in. That's, that's how. Okay. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're all made to drink of one Spirit. 
And then Jesus said in John 7, look at this. This is, this is amazing. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, what do you mean, Jesus? In verse 39, he tells us what he means. John tells us. Now this he said about the what? The Spirit, the, uh, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So the more you take in Jesus, the more you take in his word, the, the more filled you are with the Spirit. Do you see that? So how can I drink the Spirit? How can I take in the Spirit and be filled with him? Paul said in Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So that's one practical way I can be filled with the Spirit. I need to set my mind on the things of the Spirit, on heavenly things, okay? Well, how can I do that? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tells us, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And, and, and seek, seek the things that are above and set your mind on the things that are above. You need to seek heavenly, godly things. You need to set your mind on heavenly, godly things. My attention and the direction of my life needs to be on heavenward, godly things, the things of the Spirit. That's how I get filled with the Spirit. And, and, and then Paul prayed, finally, the Paul prayed that the Ephesian Christians would be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 3, look at verses 14 through 19. For this reason, listen to his prayer for them. And imagine Paul praying this for us and us praying this for one another. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you imagine that in your life? Can you imagine that in the life of your fellow members here at this congregation? Wouldn't that be amazing? That ought to be our prayer. Like, God, that's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what we ought to be praying. Fill me with the fullness of God. And I do that by taking in his word, taking in Christ, setting my mind, the direction of my life, the attention of my life on heavenly things so that I can be heavenward focused and do the work that he has called me to do. If you're a Christian this morning, I want to ask you, are you living like you're filled with the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit or are you running on empty, coasting down the road? You had to put it in neutral to get down the hill because there's no gas in your tank. There's no spiritual gas because you're running on empty on the Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit in your life as a Christian? Filled so much that, that when people bump you, they get near you and they bump you, it spills out on them. That's another way of envisioning the fruit of the Spirit being produced in you. And that's how we're supposed to live our lives, being 
filled with the Spirit. Or maybe you need prayers. You say, I want that, and I don't have that. Or I've lost that, and I've got to get that back. Pray for me. Maybe you don't have that because you're not a Christian this morning. You haven't done what we looked at, what they did in Acts chapter 2. You hadn't been baptized into Christ. And if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, Acts 2.38, you do not have the Spirit of God in you. You don't have that indwelling Spirit. You don't have the power of God working in you like that. You don't have that guarantee of an inheritance of a heavenly home. And as you get older uh, uh, and you're able to understand and comprehend that, then it's time to think about that and, and, and make a move and not delay. Maybe you need to do something about that today. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward, ask for prayers, ask for help. Get your life right with God. Be filled with the Spirit and live a vibrant Christian life. Come forward now as we stand and sing.